The word of God, the forms and basis of our meditation is taken from us, chapter 1. I'd like to reread to you uh, verses 30 to 34. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. And he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. This is our text. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, um, as we come into your presence today, we come seeking your comfort and peace. The things of our lives are challenging, and yet your word is what our heart so desperately needs May the word of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Around the world, Christian congregations are the home of many remarkable, rich works of art. Marvelous theology can be captured through art. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? Art that faithfully depicts deep truth and inspires both heart and mind can be very comforting. There's a picture called Christus Consolator. It's found in Sophia Albertina Kirka in Landskrona, Sweden. I put that in there for Paul Jacobson. Um, it beautifully really seizes the, the whole messianic figure of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of St. Mark. The painting is by a man by the name of Karl Bloch. And you can see huddled around the risen Savior a multitude of unnamed people in various states of anguish. What's really neat about this particular picture is it's found above the altar in that church. Christus Consolator. Consolator is an actual word. Uh, it's archaic. They don't use it much anymore. Instead, we find ourselves using a word similar to it called consolation. Now, from a Christian perspective, consolation is an awesome word. However, and sadly so, in the world outside of the church, well, it's almost synonymous with a loser. Think about it. Anyone here ever get a consolation prize? Tell me, were you genuinely consoled by the consolation prize? You're just lost in front of your family and a bunch of other people and someone extends to you a ribbon. Oh, not blue, red or white, but purple. Nothing wrong with purple, that's not at all, but... When you go home, do you console yourself with a purple ribbon? All it does is tell you you lost. You weren't good enough for a red, white, uh, a, a blue, white, and red uh, ribbon. There's a commercial that's kind of seared into my brain from when I was a little kid. Um, it's, a, it's a commercial that features a father and the son, and they were leaving a hockey game. The announcer introduces us to the son. His name is Pete. Pete is struggling because as the goalie, he let the winning goal get by. 
and consequently lost the game. The dad felt his son's anguish, and he also knew that there was much more to life than just the hockey game. And so he offered his son, that's right, a winto green lifesaver. The son grudgingly took what the dad had to offer as the dad then added on, you know, son, back in the day, I remember losing the fumble in the big game, and we lost. It took a whole roll of Lifesavers Winto Green uh, to make me feel better. The son turns to his father and smiles and asks him, can I have the whole roll? The dad, the dad consoles the son, uh, reminding him, of course, that, that there would be other games that could play. The scene fades out, and then the announcer lets us all know that Lifesaver candies are a part of life. A roll of Lifesaver candies may be useful for some situations, but the people that are around the, uh, the risen Savior need more than a piece of candy, don't they? These are people that are seeking to be comforted, and a mint just won't do it. See this guy? I don't know if you can see out there, but he's got chains on. What's going on? A prisoner looking for some sort of release. And you got this guy here. This guy has seemingly lost the will to live. He's a cripple. He doesn't have any place else to go. On the other side, we see somebody kneeling. Looks like they're at their wit's end. And they're in need of real hope. Then right underneath the sleeve of the Savior, we see the widow, or at least someone I would wonder is a widow, uh, uh, a widow huddled under Jesus looking for some relief. I don't know if you can see this one, but it's a, it's a picture of, a, of a, what I would call an orphan girl. And the, fa- the look on her face is so forlorn. Uh, it's, it's somebody that looks like they're forsaken, uh, like a, a deer caught in the headlights of a car. And you got this guy here. I don't know if you can see it. It's a, it's a man. He's got a cane. He's old, probably struggling with all the, the things that come with old age, wondering maybe even what his purpose is in life. Over here, you got a Doubting Thomas guy trying to figure things out. He's skeptical about pretty much everything. And then we see these other half-painted faces, especially the one on, on the right there. You can just barely see the outline behind the prisoner's head. Who are these people? None of them have any names. But from the very picture itself, we see that the Savior has come to people in need of comfort. Now, Block was criticized because none of these Images, faces are of any biblical figure. In fact, what he did is he walked around the town. He just saw random people, and those are the faces that he put in his picture. They didn't have names. They're representatives of the countless number of people throughout the ages who've encountered Christ the Consolator. And why not? Why not? 
Isn't that what we have in Matthew chapter 11? Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's no qualifications other than the fact that you're laboring or you're under a burden. Come, and there you will find in him the rest. And that's what we find in Christ the Consolator. And what really, again, is neat about this particular picture is it's above the altar. It hangs above the place where the divine consolator welcomes the distressed. This is precisely where our consolation is is found. This is precisely where Christ the consolator welcomes us, where we find rest, where we find comfort of his love, his forgiveness, his death and resurrection, his life and his heaven. The painting makes sense. Right on top of the altar. Now, as I said earlier, this picture really captures, in my opinion, the reality of what is being shared in our gospel lesson from St. Mark. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. And he went to her took her hand, and helped her up. This is a, an account that's in all, uh, well, it's in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When Luke describes it, he talks about the mother-in-law having a great fever. In those days, before there were antibiotics and other sorts of medicines, having fevers, especially high fevers, was a genuine and immediate threat to life. From Luke's perspective, Simon's mother-in-law was in grave danger. Now what's interesting about it is that in all three gospel accounts, the name of Simon's mother-in-law is not mentioned. Now that doesn't surprise me when we look at Matthew and Luke, but it does surprise me when we think about Mark. Him not using the name isn't, a, isn't an accident. I think he did it on purpose. According to the ancient or earliest church fathers, those that were the disciples of the original disciples, Mark got all the information about Jesus from Peter. Peter's the source of what he writes. <laughs> think about it. Mark knew Peter's, the name of Peter's mother-in-law but he doesn't put it in there. Why doesn't he use it? Mark is telling us something. Mark is telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ attends the anonymous, the forgotten, the nameless, faceless individuals who are in need of consolation. Notice she offers no prayer. Uh, she offers no invitation, no overture. Please send the Lord to me. In fact, nobody requests that Jesus goes in the first place. He just shows up. He takes the initiative. He's also the one, when you look at, oh, when you look at it, he's also the one that when evening comes, he also is there taking the initiative, if you will, to heal the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered, 
and Jesus healed many with their diseases. Just as he's the one that takes the initiative with us to serve us, to extend life to us. He doesn't grow faint in his journey, weary in his pursuit of us, nor does he turn away when the road to serve us becomes life-threatening. He comes to us as we suffer from our own perilous fever. I don't know if you, you caught the exchange here. Simon's, mother, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They took, told Jesus about her. He went to her, took her hand, helped her up, and the fever left. Did you catch the exchange that takes place? Our sickness and his health. He takes what is ours and he gives to us what is his. Sickness, demon possession, disease, sin, and death. He came to take it all. There was no magic wand, no hocus pocus, no incantation. No mumble jumbo. He took her by the hand. He took her by the hand, helped her up, and healed her. Does that sound familiar to you? More than one biblical writer talks about these kinds of exchanges. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he, the Messiah, took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. What did we give him in exchange? Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten, smitten by him and afflicted. His desire to exchange his life for us doesn't depend upon how we respond to it. It depends upon his love for us. His desire to be our consolator. The one who gives us comfort and peace. How about 2 Corinthians 8 9? For you know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. You see the exchange. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the exchange that has happened between you and God. All through Jesus Christ, the great comforter. Let's throw in one more. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ died for sins once for all. The exchange is the righteous for the unrighteous. For what purpose? To bring you to God. Christus Consolator is the one that comes and offers up on our behalf the payment for our sins. And to give in place of that himself Christ the consolator takes what robs us of our humanity and he restores us with his virtue which is blessings his victory his life his love that's our consolation this life that we live is not easy not pretty not comfortable and lots of times it's not very fun and people look for consolation. 
they hunt high and low in, in every conceivable way to cope with trouble in your li- their life. And until they light on something that they think will turn things around. Maybe you recall times in your life where you did pretty much the same thing. What are those things? An adulterous relationship? A bottle? Gambling? Clothing? Uh, brokering some sort of deal with God? Food? Shopping sprees? Travel? Philosophy? Endless entertainment? Vanity. Vanity. All this vanity, as King Solomon wrote. Looking for consolation in these things not only doesn't help, but it makes the problem worse. Okay, it may deaden the pain temporarily, but the next day you wake up and you're right where you were. You were not consoled. Our Lord brings us something more. He comes and not only gives Simon's mother-in-law healing, but that healing, that fever left her, and she was then able to serve. The situation was not one that a wintergreen lifesaver's candy could resolve. He moves directly to the side of Peter's mother-in-law, took her by the hand, helped her up, and healed her. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus, the consolator, said that. He served Simon's mother-in-law with his life. She received it, and she got up to serve others. What better way to understand your life? What better way to understand what happens in a divine service? And then what takes place is we walk out of here and we go back to the world to which, to which we have been called. Christus Consolator serves you through the word as it is preached that you may hear. As you receive it through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrament that we share later, he consoles you with his death and resurrection and sends you out then in that comfort and peace to serve your fellow men. The great fever of your sin is not with you anymore. You are forgiven. Your shame has been removed. Your guilt is no longer He exchanged his life for our life. We are able now to embrace our Father through the very love of Jesus, his Son, who not only accomplished everything that his Father required of him, but everything that was required of us. The debt has been paid. This is comfort in the highest form. That's what our Old Testament lesson was referencing. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run, not grow weary. They will walk and and not be faint. Receiving consolation, uh, understanding 
the magnitude of the exchange and what it means to us, it arguably gives you courage. And, and it's not courage because the problem's gone. It's, it's courage because of who you belong to. Because you're going to have future issues you have to deal with. Those two have been paid for. Those two have been overcome on your behalf. So when we're confronted by our sin, we're also then confronted yet again on why Jesus is the only one that brings true comfort to our soul. That comfort really is the source of the courage that we have, strength, hope. It's in Christ and him, Him alone. And I hope it provides you with some sort of momentum as you walk back into your lives of faith. Each day, we drink this cup that seemingly is running over, but it's also running over with the grace and mercy of God. We have a race to run in our life. It is marked out for us. And we can run without becoming weary. As we go toward heaven, we will not faint. Christ, the Consolator, is with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.